thanks for dialing into our podcast. We're the Light Church Bradford here in Yorkshire, England, a church committed to following Jesus and loving our city back to life again. We truly hope and pray this week's message helps you and encourages you on your journey, especially in these really challenging times. I'm really, really uh, delighted to be able to introduce uh, our guest preacher. Come on, John, come on up. And uh, so uh, this is John Swales. Let's give him a round of applause. And uh, John is an uh, Anglican vicar in the city of Leeds. He works for... Um, Oh, yeah, I need to send the youth out. I'm doing a really bad job at this. First of all, the youth follow all the kids upstairs and have to come back down again. And, uh, and, uh, but um, if you are uh, uh, kind of, what are we talking, secondary school, high school age, if you want to, it looks like you're following Vincent and Elsa. And uh, bless you guys. Have a good, good time. So um, John is a, uh, a vicar um, at St. George's Church over in Leeds, which is a, a vibrant church, but alongside, well, his main role there is leading, do you call it a congregation that's part of... A Christian community for those battered and bruised by the storms of life. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like we could all do rejoining that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, kind of, uh, I've known uh, John for quite some time, um, getting to know him a bit better, but uh, his heart for those that have been most broken and battered, as he says, by kind of like stuff in life is is amazing, um, and the team alongside him that really kind of yeah, work to bring hope and healing to, to yeah, people is, is phenomenal. And, um, but alongside that, uh, kind of John has what I would describe as a prophetic mandate around the whole area of um, kind of creation care and the injustice that goes with climate change. Um, I, before he starts, I want to um, say, and, and actually you can sit down because we're going to show a short film, aren't we? I want to say that um, generally it's very easy for us to read the Bible, and especially when we read the prophets in the Old Testament, it's very easy for us to read it and kind of go, oh yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good. The reality is that most of the people that listened to the prophets didn't like what they had to say because <laughs> it was deeply challenging and deeply confronting. Uh, when Isaiah raised his voice, when Jeremiah raised his voice, when, those, when Hosea and Micah and people like that raised their voice, mostly it would have, it would have really bothered people. Um, and it took time for them to go, you know what, actually that was God speaking. And then it was written and it was kind of confirmed. Don't worry, we're experimenting with something upstairs. And like I say, if you hear footsteps, that's the sound of joy and the next generation being raised up for Jesus. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I say that because I don't think everything John's going to say this morning is going to be comfortable. And, um, and I make no apologies for that because I've actually found it quite uncomfortable following him on social media. And I thank, and I thank God for that. I really do because we all need provoking. And as with every prophet, it's for all of us to sit and discern what God is speaking. You know, and that's cool, and that's great. And so, I'm really, really delighted. I'm just going to pray for pray. We've already prayed for him, but thank God, I thank you that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon this man, that you have given him a mandate to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to speak freedom 
to captives. Just like you, Jesus. That was your spirit-given mandate. And I thank you that it rests upon this brother of ours today. So before John speaks, we're just going to watch a short two-minute film um, from the excellent Christian relief and development charity, Tear Fund. Thank you. They say everyone in the world is connected by six degrees of separation. But what if it's closer to 1.5? What if 1.5 degrees is all that stands between us, our global neighbours and a climate emergency? Back in 2015, world leaders agreed to try and keep any increase in global temperature to 1.5 degrees Celsius. But we're way off track. Without urgent action, we'll reach a point of no return. Even now, the increase in temperature is having a devastating impact. Meet Jessie. She is one of the main providers for her family in Malawi. They rely heavily on the food she farms to eat, but climate change has turned growing crops from difficult to almost impossible. It's not just the heat. A change in climate brings severe weather and flooding, destroying Jessie's crops and her home. Millions of people living in poverty will struggle to survive, so together, with our world leaders, we have to do everything we can to stay under 1.5 degrees. Why is 1.5 so crucial? At 1.5, sea levels could rise by 48 centimetres. At 2, they rise to 56 centimetres. That might not sound like a lot, but it's enough to wipe away whole communities. At 1.5, the average drought in Malawi can last four months. At two, it can last half a year. That might not sound like a lot, but it's enough to destroy farmers' crops. In the UK, half a degree might not seem much, but on the other side of the world, it's the difference between life and death. At two degrees, we'll have reached a climate catastrophe. We'll be burning down the house. Richer countries are the main cause of climate change, but it's people living in poverty who are hit the hardest. Even 1.5 isn't perfect, but at least it leaves room for hope. Hope for us, our global neighbours, and all of God's creation. But we must act now. We must take our God-given responsibility to help keep creation in balance. We cannot claim to love our planet or our global brothers and sisters if we just sit by while they suffer the consequences of our actions. Together, we must imagine a different way of life, where we don't rely on fossil fuels, where we think about what we buy and what we throw away, where we stand alongside people living in poverty. Join us as we raise our voices and let world leaders know, we must change before our world does. We must limit any increase to global temperatures to 1.5 degrees Celsius. The time for action is now. mercy. Christ have mercy. So good morning or is it good afternoon now? Good afternoon. Um, in this talk, the second in a series on climate breakdown and creation care, I want to encourage you as individuals and as a community to embrace a prophetic and kingdom activist calling. Given what was said before the sermon, I better put some provocative stuff in this sermon as well so, so it matches. Now, a prophetic activist is someone who seeks to bring about social and political change. Prophetic activists challenge the status quo. They speak truth in a culture of denial. And prophetic activists enact hope 
and change in a culture of despair. And at this moment of history, we are in desperate need for the church to wake up to its activist and prophetic calling. Why? Well, I've just seen the video and I can see the look in some people's eyes. We are at the 11th hour regarding climate breakdown. Or more accurately, in the words of Boris Johnson, we're at one minute to midnight. Due to carbon emissions from fossil fuels, we are at 1.2 degrees above pre-industrial temperatures, heading towards a world of 1.5 degrees and beyond. With all the promises of COP happening at the minute, even if those promises are fulfilled, we're still heading to a 1.9, 2 degree world. And there's questions made about when promises are made, will the promises be kept? As David Attenborough said, right now we are facing a man-made disaster of a global scale. Our greatest threat in thousands of years, climate change. If we don't take action, the collapse of our civilization and the extinction of much of the natural world is on the horizon. As the Archbishop of Canterbury, my boss, I guess, said, and this isn't how normally how archbishops speak, he said, the horsemen of the climate apocalypse are at the gates. As temperatures rise, sea levels rise. Extreme weather events increase. Whatever happens at COP, we face challenging decades ahead, a future, and this is already locked in, it's already locked in, which will see an increase in malnutrition, migration, and conflict, in a world in which where there will be an increased risk of societal collapse. Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, said this, humanity faces a direct existential threat, and climate breakdown is a justice issue which is already affecting, as that video helpfully showed, the world's most vulnerable. In the words of the Barbadian Prime Minister, Maya Motley, 1.5 is what we need to stay alive. Two degrees is a death sentence for the people of Antigua and Barbuda for the people of the Maldives, for the people of Dominica and Fiji, for the people of Kenya and Mozambique, and yes, for the people of Samoa and Barbados. In the words of tens of thousands of parents in Madagascar today, I can't feed my children. We don't have food. And we are being failed. Not all may agree with this next paragraph. We have been failed by our political leaders and by many of our financial and corporate institutions. A failure to communicate the severity of our existential threat. A failure to develop policies, structures, and to prioritize divestment. The direction and speed of travel is clear. What we should be doing is slamming on the brakes of climate breakdown, but in many ways, our financial institutions and our corporations are putting their foot on the accelerator. The beasts of unrestrained capitalism and consumerism have been unleashed. And we are to ask ourselves, how can we be faithful to Jesus in these difficult and strange days? 
In the face of, the, of this threat and other world issues, racism, increased militarism, biodiversity loss, many of us may experience missional paralysis. Like rabbits caught beneath the headlights, we do not know what to do, so we don't do anything. Or to change the metaphor, we may choose to act like ostriches that bury our heads in the sand even though the tide is coming in. However, throughout church history, there are prophetic movements and individuals who have taken the cruciform path of activism, campaigning, protest, and engagement to bring about change. Christian activists who have had the wisdom and courage to reject the status quo and have stood with self-giving, sacrificial love against oppressive forces of domination, oppression, and injustice. Let me name to you just a few. Christian faith inspired William Wilberforce through a revolution called love in which he raised public awareness with pamphlets, petitions, protests, and political engagement. And in 1833, the House of Commons voted to free slaves across the British Empire. Catherine Booth and Desmond Tutu joined this cloud of witnesses and followed this pattern of kingdom insurgency as they spoke out against Victorian exploitation of the poor, apartheid, and segregation. The world was changed because of their activism. I know I'm speaking fast. I also know how many pages I've got. Is this okay? Yeah, I want to make sure I get to, we're getting to Jesus. We're getting to Jesus. Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement in the US dreamed a dream, a kingdom dream, in which people would not be judged by the content of their character, would, would be judged by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. They took action, acted prophetically, protested, broke the law, boycotted, organized, trained others, suffered, were abused, they were the victims of police brutality, they were stabbed and shot, yet their activism delivered results, changed the system and created fresh possibilities that were in line with both justice and mercy. As Martin Luther King said, justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. The pastor, theologian, and activist Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a vocal op opponent to the Nazis, and he founded underground Bible colleges which trained pastors to work illegally. He formed communities who were well aware of the cost of discipleship. Bonhoeffer was arrested by the Nazis, and on the 9th of April, 1945, he was stripped of his clothes and led naked into an execution yard. There he was hanged. And Bonhoeffer, he wrote these words. We are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims caught beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. And so in our talk today, we're going to look at Jesus and we are going to find that in him, is not to be found a timid morality which retreats from the world into a spiritualizing irrelevance. No, in him we find a kingdom call to courageous engagement and transformative cross-bearing. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God. His opening words 
in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke are, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God isn't the hope of heaven when you die, although we have a great hope. The, nor is the kingdom to be equated with the church, although one hopes there is an overlap between the church and the kingdom. Rather, the kingdom of God is the dream and hope that the values, culture, and life of the coming age would break into the present, into all spheres of life, including the political, social, and economic. In Jesus, this kingdom is not just proclaimed. It is enacted. In Jesus, the kingdom is inaugurated, and in his glorious return, it will be consummated. We pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done, because this world is not the way it is meant to be. Many within more charismatic traditions of the church, of which I am part, yes, it's true, you can get Anglican charismatics, um, have rightly seen that the kingdom draws near in personal healing. In Jesus, we are reminded that the kingdom is both this, and more. We may say that the kingdom is the opposite of what breaks God's heart. In a world of guilt, the kingdom is forgiveness. In a world of violence, the kingdom is shalom. In a world of marginalization of the poor, Jesus welcomes the weak and gathers the oppressed. And we may add that in a world of climate injustice and suffering, the kingdom is climate justice and the flourishing of the world's most vulnerable. And in all these aspects, the kingdom is in and through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is a deeply political concept. It's about the government of God, the reign of God. And it brings with it an invitation and a challenge. It's an invitation for all to participate and perform with fresh hope and imagination. However, it's also a challenge to the oppressive forces of domination and injustice. So what I want to do is just draw out three aspects of Jesus' kingdom approach, which will have some relevance to us today. You're tracking so far? Okay, so first point is that Jesus, let's call him a prophetic activist. He laments. He laments. In Luke 19, verse, 40, 40, verse 41, we read these words. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but they are now hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side, and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. In this passage, we see Jesus' tearful recognition. Oh, I've longed to gather you as chicks under my wings with tears in his eyes. This tearful recognition that he knows what is going to befall the nation. He knows the direction of travel. 
He knows that they are heading to war with Rome. And that's exactly what happened in AD 70. A violent Israel wanting a violent messianic revolution will reap what it sows. As Jesus said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And so we see here that Jesus as a prophetic activist has emotions. And emotions, when guided by the Holy Spirit, can be a powerful indicator of things not being right. Emotions can be a call to action. Oh Lord, would you give us Christ-shaped compassion in this time of climate breakdown? Lord, would you give us a holy rage, a righteous anger against injustice and suffering? That's what we need to be doing as well. We need to be engaging with our emotion, get the information, engage with our hearts, and then also talk to others about it. So the first point is that Jesus the prophet laments. The second one is that Jesus the activist is a peacemaker. So one aspect of Jesus' ministry, which is often downplayed or forgotten, is that Jesus knows where it's heading, that there's, there's violence in the air and it's heading towards war with Rome. A violent war with mass suffering is on the cards. Jesus knows that there's a broad way that leads to destruction, but Jesus also offers a narrow way of peace. In a world of escalating violence, Jesus seeks to gather around him a peacemaking community. We could say an activist community, those who are salt and light to transform the world. In this context, the Sermon of the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, are deeply political. Jesus not only says, blessed are the peacemakers, but he also says, love your enemies. He says this, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who, who is in heaven. Jesus, he sets out to deconstruct the dominant assumed ideology of his age. Because he knows what that's going to bring. He intends to raise up a community of peacemakers. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. One of the tasks of the church, alongside that of making disciples and baptizing, is the task of passing on Jesus' teaching to the nations. This includes the social and political messages of peacemaking. Perhaps we're encouraged to see that Jesus' final words to Peter before his crucifixion, lay down your sword, is a command for the church. And yet the church, and here the Church of England, is more guilty than the independents. The church has often stood as chaplains and cheerleaders to conflicts, or they have been complicit by their silence. You know, we're the, we're the church, we don't do politics. However, peacemaking is political, and as we move further into climate breakdown, we shall see at a global, national, and local level an increase in conflict and social tension. This is what um, 
the uh, military in the UK, in the US, and other parts of the world are preparing for a world of increased temperatures and increased conflict over resources. So what does it mean for the church to be peacemakers in a world of increased, increased risk of conflict? How do we train and raise up a generation of peacemakers as we move further into climate breakdown? Third, final point, it's a little bit longer, but I'll talk a bit faster. Is that all right, Matt? Um, Jesus the activist calls out the forces of domination. In Jesus' day, many were hungry. Half the harvest may have been taken as tax. Many were in debt in an economy which favored the rich and those in collusion with the empire, the emperor, or his client kings. Recent scholarship has suggested that in Jesus' day, most of the wealth was in the hands of the few, but the vast majority of the population were at or near subsistence level whose primary concern was to get food, shelter, and clothing necessary to sustain life. This bears some parallels with the global situation today. According to a 2018 UN report, the 26 richest people in the world held as much wealth as half of the global population. 26 richest people in the world hold the same wealth as the 3.8 billion poorest people. In regard to climate breakdown, the poorest nations in the world, where individuals have the lowest carbon footprints, are those who are facing and will face the worst of extreme weather, drought, water shortage, etc. In this context, in, in Jesus' context, perhaps there's also a message for us today. The activist Jesus speaks uncomfortable words to those who have been the winners in the structures of domination. Jesus says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. He tells the rich young ruler, Go sell all you have and give it to the poor. Rabbi Jesus, who himself has nowhere to lay his head, says, do not store riches up for yourself here on earth. And he also says how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This isn't Marxism, leftism, socialism, or communism. These are the words of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus unrolls a scroll and reads from Isaiah a powerful prophetic passage. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This kingdom manifesto, Jesus says, is now being fulfilled. The kingdom includes good news to the poor, freedom to the oppressed. It includes healing. But Norstice also says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And most commentators rightly point out that Jesus here, yes, is drawing on Isaiah, but Isaiah is drawing on the Jubilee traditions from Leviticus 25. In Leviticus 25, we find laws for an economic reset every 50 years, a time when debt is canceled and any land which has been bought and sold in the last 50 years will be returned to its original owner. 
It seems then that Jesus is saying that the kingdom has an explicit economic aspect in which wealth is to be redistributed. In our own day, much of the wealth of nations and individuals have been accumulated over generations, sometimes being linked to colonialism, slavery, and unethical exploitation. Some of the rich can get richer over generations, but Jesus, in his context, which is different to ours, but Jesus declares a jubilee, the economic reset is here. The prophetic Jesus is advocating an economic system which puts him on a crash course with the powers and rulers of his age. And he not only teaches and preaches these messages in a village synagogue. And you can probably understand why some people thought Jesus was great and other people tried to push him off a cliff. But Jesus also goes to the heart of political, economic and social power. In the final week of his life, Jesus goes to the temple in Jerusalem. And from the Gospel of Mark, we can say that this action in the temple is premeditated. In Mark 11, we read this. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple, and when he had looked around, as it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. The temple incident is not to be seen as a rash, spontaneous, angry outburst but deliberate and pre-planned by Jesus. Jesus is channeling his anger to participate in a pre-arranged confrontation, a provocative performance to draw attention. So Jesus goes to the temple, looks around, goes to Bethany. The next day he comes and we read this. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. The rebel This is what he had been seen like by those in power. The rebel Jesus engages in a symbolic action which causes disruption. He breaks the law. He overturns tables. It is non-violent direct action, civil disobedience. In flipping the tables and driving out the money changers, Jesus quotes from the prophetic justice passages. You see, Jesus in his kingdom ministry is a man who is about justice. And in the Bible, justice has to do with setting the world to rights. It's the opposite of injustice. Justice stands against oppression, domination, and economic exploitation. Justice stands with the poor and the powerless and speaks for those without a voice. Justice is the dream of the prophets as the prophet Amos imagines the day when justice will roll on like a mighty river. Justice is also at the heart of God, as Isaiah says, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. And to know God is to do justice. To know God is to do justice. In Jesus, the word made flesh, we see justice embodied and entwined with extravagant mercy. 
He welcomes the weak. He gathers the oppressed. And here in the temple, he lays down the prophetic and activist challenge to the unjust structures and organizations of his day. Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. You see, Jesus is speaking out and protesting the economic exploitation that takes place in the temple. For a moment, he stops trade. Jesus also speaks out against ethnocentric nationalism, which makes the Gentiles second class. This is a house of prayer for all nations. Now, I've, this morning, I've, or this afternoon, I've barely scratched the surface of what it is to look at Jesus, perhaps for some of us in a, in a, in a fresh new way. But I do hope that I've provided some evidence that Jesus and his kingdom ministry did have a social and political vision, a vision we saw desperately need in our world of climate breakdown. Jesus weeps at suffering in the face of escalating violence. He calls a peacemaking community to himself, and Jesus Jesus challenges the domination system. As a prophetic activist, he speaks truth in a culture of denial. He challenges the status quo. In conclusion, though, note this, that Jesus, and we've been calling him an activist, Jesus the activist, he's arrested, he's crucified. Jesus becomes just another victim of the powers of empire and violence. He hangs on a cross, a symbol that shows what happens to those who challenge the system. It looks like injustice wins. It looks like violence has the last word. It looks like domination and oppression reign and rule forever. And he breathes his last. Yet. Yet three days later, Jesus is raised from the dead. Showing that there is always hope. And that love itself wins. And Jesus, the kingdom activist, he gathers his disciples around him and says this, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you in the church. And perhaps you, and perhaps this church is called to continue the kingdom mission of Jesus, that we have a prophetic and activist role to play. Finally, let me end by telling you about a lady who I met a few years ago. I was breaking the law down in London, sat on the road outside the Bank of England, protesting their inaction regarding the climate emergency. And I met an older lady called Angie Zeltzer. And, I got, and later that evening, Angie was arrested. In fact, she has been arrested over 200 times for her activism. In 1996... Angie and a few others broke into a British aerospace hangar. And they used hammers against a warplane that was to be sold to Indonesia. After causing a few million pounds worth of damage, they sat on the floor, held hands, and sang songs of peace and hymns and waited for the police. They were remanded to prison for six months. However, when they came to Crown Court, they were found not guilty and released. Why? 
because this specific plan was going to be used in acts of genocide against the people of East Simon. The activism of these ladies not only prevented from that specific plan from being used, in fact, the Prime Minister of Indonesia, when the plane was repaired, said, I don't want that plane because it's cursed. He misunderstood it. That, that plane had been blessed. Um, but it also, their action brought media and political attention to the unethical practices of the UK arms trade. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for climate justice. Blessed are the climate peacemakers. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, you made it to the end. That's even more encouraging. If you'd like to find out more about who we are, visit our website at thelightchurch.org.uk. We pray God's blessing on you now as you go into the rest of your day. 